Welcome to episode 163 of the Yours Truly podcast. I am your host, Claire Tuning. I am a non-diet registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, and woman who spends her free time thinking up puns. Much to the dismay of my friends who probably want nothing more than to never be challenged to another pun war, but I don't foresee myself changing <laughs> anytime soon. And um, I guess while we're on the topic of things that have absolutely nothing to do with the theme of this podcast, I also have to tell you, fun fact, is that I recently discovered my love for high-speed go-kart racing. You might be like, Claire, how the heck did you stumble upon your love for racing go-karts? Well, this past weekend, it'll have been about two-ish weekends ago by the time this episode comes out, but this past weekend, a couple of friends and I went to a go-kart racing track because what the heck else are you supposed to do on a Saturday in your late 20s? <laughs> we go go-kart racing. I had never been. Uh, my, my friend and I, the one girl in the group, my best friend from college, we live together, we have a great time. We were the only two girls in the group. The rest of our friends are guys, so you can imagine they were, you know, super excited. They had all been before, they were really competitive. My gal pal and I were a little bit concerned. We're like, how fast is this gonna go? Are we gonna get hurt? Is it like bumper cars? Are people gonna be running into us? Anyways, ended up being fine. They put you in a whole, you know, race gear. You have to do safety training. You have a full-on helmet, all the safety things. It ended up being much more fun than I anticipated. Once I kind of got my nerves out and I got the feel for the track, I was flying, speeding around the corner. So who's to say my fallback career might be go-kart racing. Am I being serious? Probably not, but it could be a fun side hobby. But anyways, I digress. Today's episode on the, the podcast, which is indeed a nutrition and intuitive eating podcast, not a racing podcast, but today's episode is a solo episode, so it is just going to be you and me today. And I'm actually pulling this episode out of the archives because it has been a while since I recorded a listener Q&A style episode, but I didn't really have the time to craft up an entirely new Q&A episode this week. Believe it or not, these are actually the episodes that take the most time when I'm sourcing questions and having to think through how to answer them thoughtfully and thoroughly, so I didn't have the time to piece together a new one. So I've chosen to pull this one from the archives for a few different reasons. First reason is it's one of my most popular Q&A style episodes when I look at the breakdown of downloads and you know, listens and all the things that is one of the most listened to. And it's also one that I released over a year ago. So at this point, odds are if you're relatively new to the podcast or if you didn't catch every episode for the past four years, you maybe haven't heard this one yet. So to give you a little sneak peek as to what topics I'm getting into in this episode, I answer some questions on weight loss and intuitive eating. I also talk about how to say no to certain foods, how to politely decline, especially if you're in a social situation. We talk about the difference between registered dietitians and nutritionists. That's actually a question that I get a lot on TikTok, wanting to know, 
Is there a difference? And if so, what is the difference? And I also touch on the topic of food sensitivity tests, which obviously was a topic that was coming up a lot a year ago when I recorded this episode, but I have continued to hear a lot of stuff about food sensitivity tests and people taking them and feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm sensitive to all of these foods that I eat every single day. What the heck am I supposed to eat? So if you're curious about that, there is a full and thorough answer to that question close to the end of this episode. But before I turn it over to last year me, last January, Claire, I want to take a moment and share this week's Yours Truly Goal Slayer featured post of the week. So this post comes from a current client of mine and they write, so I've been working on intuitive eating for this year with Claire. This morning was really busy and I had a bunch of things to do and I am generally somebody who does not wake up feeling hungry. But as I got to the late morning, I was super hungry and I really wanted both a bagel and lox and chicken nuggets. And as I tried to decide between the two, I decided that I could actually have both. I didn't feel out of control. I wasn't concerned that I had too much. I honored my body's cravings without judgment. I am full and satisfied. I cannot believe my neutrality around food and how much progress I am making on neutrality with my body as well. I will tell you that if you have the ability to work one-on-one with Claire, then go for it. All caps there on go for it. So I want to give a big thank you and a shout out to this client of mine who, like you read in the post, we have been working together for over a year. I am so proud and impressed as well with the progress that has been made towards neutrality, not only around food and body, but also in the level of connection to body cues and being able to honor cues and honor cravings and how much progress has been made. So if you are interested in joining this free private Facebook community of ours, it is filled with not only my current clients and people who I've worked with in the past, but it's also filled with hundreds of other individuals who are interested in learning more about intuitive eating and having a group that can support them and they can ask questions to. So if you want to come and join us, if you're not already there, you can do so by visiting my website, The link is clairetuning.com slash community. Right when you type that into your browser, it will take you to a page with an application. Pretty brief, but I will ask that you fill out that application so that I can learn a bit more about you and you can learn what our community is about and the ground rules that we abide by to make sure that it stays a safe and uplifting place for everyone who chooses to be there. And as soon as you submit that application, my team and I will look it over to then welcome you into the group. And final thing that I want to plug here, since this post was coming from a current client of mine, and they ended by saying, if you have the ability to work one-on-one with Claire, if you would like more information on how I work with individuals one-on-one, what that process looks like, what it includes, financial level of investment, then all of that information is also available on my website. The link there is clairetuning.com slash work with me. 
or if you're filling out the application to join our Facebook group, just tap on the tab in the menu bar that says work with me and that will take you to a page that has listed everything you need to know about coaching, who it's for, what some of my other clients have to say, what you can expect, what it includes. And if you go to that page and you like what you read, if you wanna see if you and I might be a good fit to work together one-on-one, then there is an application at the bottom of that page that I will have you fill out. And as soon as you submit that application, it comes directly to my email inbox. I will respond to you personally, and we can then set up a time to chat one-on-one on our free discovery call to see if we would be a good fit to work together as a team. So I hope to hear from you very soon, whether that's in our free Facebook community or in an application for coaching, whatever feels best for you. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into some of these questions from last year, last January. So enjoy and I'll catch you on the flip side. My typical disclaimer for all Q&A episodes and I guess the podcast in general is that this episode and this entire podcast are both for informational and educational purposes only and are not a substitute for individualized medical, mental, or nutritional health advice. Although I am a dietitian, I am not your dietitian unless you are one of my clients listening to this episode, in which case, hello, (laughs) glad to have you here. But we're gonna dive in with the first question that is actually kind of a summary of a couple of different questions. And I am choosing to kick off this Q&A episode with this grouping of questions because whenever I ask, for questions or, you know, just input from others on the topic of intuitive eating, this is probably one of the most asked questions. So we are just going to address it right up top. Is it possible to lose weight while intuitive eating? Slash, is it okay to desire to lose weight with intuitive eating? Or how can you follow intuitive eating if you are trying to lose weight? So we're gonna kind of break all of these down. Again, I grouped a couple of different questions together there because I received many along these lines. So first of all, is it possible to lose weight while intuitive eating? Yes, but is the active pursuit of weight loss the goal of intuitive eating? No. Or is weight something that we actively track and use as a metric of quote unquote success with intuitive eating? Also no. And here's why. Intuitive eating is a weight neutral process, meaning there really is no way to know exactly what will happen to your weight as a result of healing your relationship with food and recovering from whatever you might be recovering from, whether it's chronic dieting, disordered eating, an eating disorder, etc. If you heard that beep in the background, <laughs> that is my dryer. I'm washing my sheets and didn't know that was going to beep while I'm talking. But anyways, back to what I was saying. So some individuals may stay relatively the same weight throughout this process. Some individuals may gain weight, especially if they are recovering from any form of restriction, and some individuals may lose weight. And maybe for you listening now, it feels 
really uncomfortable to hear that, right? To hear me say that this process may or may not bring weight loss. It might be especially uncomfortable for you to hear that if the promise of weight loss has really been the center focus of many of your food and or quote unquote wellness related endeavors in the past. And it's okay if hearing me say this feels uncomfortable. You don't have to feel completely accepting of this and it is still okay to have that desire for weight loss. If this is you, I want you to know that you are 100% still welcome here. I think it's just important for us to know at the beginning of this process, you know, getting involved with intuitive eating, that weight loss just isn't a promised outcome. And it's also a reminder that if you see someone on social media, maybe in your real life, who is telling you the opposite, then they are very likely trying to sell you what I call a diet by a different name, right? So maybe they're saying, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle change, but also you have to restrict these things or you have to track these calories or measure these points, right? So oftentimes I find, and maybe you've felt or seen this as well, that diet, the D word, is like a very dirty word in our culture nowadays. It's like everyone is catching on to maybe they don't work, maybe this isn't helpful, but since the diet industry, at least here in the United States, is still a 72 plus billion dollar industry, they are trying to morph into a different form to call it wellness, to call it a lifestyle, to say, yeah, eat intuitively and 100% you will lose weight, right? They're trying to really brand the same old diets under a different name that isn't so looked down upon in our world nowadays. So there was actually another question in here. I'm kind of using these other questions to answer this next one. But there was another question that said, people have said that intuitive eating and weight loss can be harmonious. How is that? And hopefully what I just said over these past few minutes answers that question, right? If you're finding anyone who is promising weight loss as a result of intuitive eating, they're marketing intuitive eating for weight loss, right? We're gonna have the the red flags go off in our mind. We're gonna take that information with a grain of salt and we're gonna maybe reassure ourselves then they might be trying to sell me a diet under a different name. What is often found though throughout the process of intuitive eating is something called your set Point weight. So this describes the point at which your body stabilizes, aka you're no longer yo-yoing up and down in weight as you often do during the dieting cycle. Maybe, right, you've been in the dieting cycle before where you've been on a diet, it goes well for a certain amount of time, you lose a bunch of weight, and then the minute that you stop abiding by those restrictions the minute you realize I can't do this for the rest of my life, it's not sustainable, we find that any weight that was lost comes back and oftentimes more comes back than what was lost in the first place. So what we can say as a result of intuitive eating is that we find this set point 
our weight stabilizes and we no longer have to engage in restrictive eating and or over exercising patterns to maintain that set point weight. But with this idea of the set point weight, there are a few important things to understand or at least note about this concept. So first of all, your set point is influenced by many different factors, a lot of which are outside of your individual realm of control. A couple of examples here are things like your genetics play a role here, your age plays a role, even your past dieting history plays a role, right? Like what I was saying a couple of moments ago about you go on this diet, you lose some weight, you go off the diet, you regain the weight, and then some, right? So all of these things that in the here, in the now, today are out of our control, genetics, age, past dieting history, they all play some sort of role or they influence in some way, shape, or form this idea of your set point. Second thing to understand is your set point might be different from what you think your weight quote unquote should be. For example, you may think that your weight should be the same size that you were when you were 15 or 16 years old, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your body can naturally or happily exist at that same size 10, 20, 30, 40 years later, especially if in that 10, 20, 30, 40 years, like A, you're aging, B, I don't know, maybe you had a child, maybe your body grew another human being, maybe many factors of your lifestyle have changed from when you were 15 or 16 years old, or I don't know, I hope they have. (laughs) I know many parts of my life are different from how they were at 15, 16. So final reminder here, I guess this is kind of point 2A or 2B, is our bodies are not machines and they will change over time. So I know that was a, a lot of different parts to those initial questions, but as you have probably taken note of, if you've listened to this podcast or any other podcast addressing this question of is it possible to lose weight with intuitive eating, it is a very layered and a nuanced question and requires a layered and a nuanced response because it's not just as easy as saying yes or no. Second question, speaking of saying no, I did not plan that transition, (laughs) but, but yet there it is. Second question is when is it okay to say no to eating? So I think it is very much okay to say no to eating in many different situations. There's often a common misconception that intuitive eating means saying yes to all foods all the time. And sure, you can say yes to a lot of different foods when and if you feel like it with intuitive eating, which is something that I don't think can really be said in the context of a lot of diets, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are obligated to say yes. Sometimes I think saying no can be just as much of an exercise of self-care and food freedom as saying yes is. 
So here are a few examples of where you may consider saying no to a certain food. Um, one, maybe you're allergic to the food. I think we can all agree if you are allergic to something, it is going to be an awesome idea to decline the offer of that food. Second example, maybe you simply don't like the food being offered. It doesn't align with your preferences, you don't like the taste, you don't appreciate the texture, etc. Third example, if the last time you ate the food, you didn't feel well afterwards, and maybe you don't want to feel that way again, if you can help it, right? So recalling your own body's feedback and your own lived experience, one of the previous times that you had this food and taking that into consideration when making your current decision to either accept or decline the food. Another example is if you are already feeling pleasantly full and you know that eating more might lead you to feeling unpleasantly full. So it's like maybe you've you've had your meal, you've had your eating experience, you're feeling pleasant in that moment and adding more food into your system at that point in time maybe would kind of cause you to cross the line between I feel comfortable and I feel uncomfortable or I feel unpleasant. And you know, the list could go on from here, but I think you get the point and all of these examples can help to illustrate that yes, there are many different situations in which saying no to a certain food or politely declining isn't necessarily coming from a restrictive mindset, but it could be coming from this place of wanting to do what is best for you, to eat safely in the context of an allergy, or to end the eating experience feeling pleasant. So like, like I just said, but I want to reiterate this point because I think it's often misunderstood in intuitive eating sometimes is saying no to a certain food doesn't automatically mean that you are falling into a restrictive diety mental space because it really depends on your intention behind refusing the food. You know, is your decision based on preference and or honoring your body's cues or is your decision more coming from a place of fear or having a diet rule around that food? Because there's a very big difference between doing something based out of preference to honor your body's cues and doing something because you feel like you should or you have to or you're not allowed to do otherwise. So again, big difference. And if you are realizing that sometimes your intentions might be a little bit more restrictive than they are acting out of self-care, that is just something to get curious about. Next question. I'm going to do a little bit of a lighter question since these first two, they just had, they had more to unpack. They were definitely more on the serious side. So this question one of my all-time favorite questions is, what is your favorite brand of peanut butter? Now, like I said at the beginning of this episode, one of the ways I always introduce myself is by saying I am a peanut butter and jelly enthusiast through and through. I have some form of peanut butter and jelly at least once daily, whether it's like peanut butter and jelly on a waffle or in sandwich form or on an English muffin or 
in smoothie form even, right? I cannot communicate enough how much I love peanut butter and jelly. But when it comes to my favorite brand of peanut butter, honestly, I'm not really picky. I am a fan of any and all peanut butters that I can get my hand on. I think currently in my cabinet, I have the Smucker's natural kind. And why I choose that is because I actually prefer the kind that you have to stir that's a little bit runnier. I don't know. I just think it tastes better. I like the texture a little bit more than the kind that is totally blended together. And also I find once you mix it once and get all the oil off of the top, then at least for me, it stays mixed and it's not super annoying to have to remix every time. But what I will say, because I know I just gave a very non-committal answer when it came to the brand, but what I will say is I am team crunchy peanut butter all the way. Please do not show up at my door with creamy peanut butter expecting me to be excited. I am not a fan. You know, will I eat it if that's the only option? Yes, of course. But do I prefer crunchy? 100%. Anyone who is a smooth peanut butter fan, we can still be friends, but we have fundamental differences between the two of us. I don't know. I just like a little bit of crunch. I like the different texture that it brings. I find it more satisfying to actually like crunch down on something and hear the sound rather than just kind of have it slither down my throat. <laughs> that was a weird visual, but you get what I mean. Next question. What is the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian? And another question that I received that I figured I could kind of group in with my answer to that first question is what was the process like becoming an RD or a registered dietitian? So we'll tackle the first question first about noting the differences between a nutritionist and a dietitian. So here's one way to think about it. All dietitians are nutritionists, but not all nutritionists are dietitians. Pause the pod if you need to. <laughs> Process that. I know that's kind of a confusing explanation, and I'll go more in depth here in a moment, but in 10 words or less, that is one way you can think about it. Again, all registered dietitians are nutritionists, but not all nutritionists are registered dietitians. So RD or registered dietitian, some people use the credential RDN, registered dietitian nutritionist, all those are the same. But this is a medically recognized credential that requires a specific educational track that lasts anywhere from four to six years. There is supervised practice hours that we have to complete as part of the dietetic internship. There is a passing of a national credentialing exam, and there are continuing education credits that are required on a five-year renewing basis to maintain the RD credential. 
Many RDs, also myself included, also seek something called professional supervision, which is pretty much like professional therapy in a way where we work with another registered dietitian dietitian, typically one who has more experience, they have more credentialing in the field, and they serve as a mentor and a guide to ensure that we as dietitians are providing the best, most thoughtful, and evidence-based care to our patients and our clients. So that, in a not too long-winded answer, that describes to you what goes behind that RD credential. Now, nutritionist, on the other hand, is a really unregulated term, meaning that pretty much anyone, anywhere can label themselves a nutritionist. So this doesn't automatically mean that all nutritionists are awful and they can't be trusted, right? That is not what I'm trying to say. But it does mean that you should really do your research when you come across someone who labels themselves as a nutritionist. For example, someone who says that they are a nutritionist could have done something like a master's in nutrition science, and maybe they've taken a lot of other trainings in nutrition as well, but they just never went through with the internship and the exam process to become a registered dietitian. In this case, that individual sounds pretty cool. They sound trustworthy, they sound like they have the experience and some level of schooling to back the claim of being able to help people understand more about food, nutrition, their bodies, etc. But others that you may find online, on social media, calling themselves a nutritionist could have just taken a one or two day, you know, online training. Maybe they did it last week and now they're taking on clients and offering individualized nutrition advice. And that, at least in my opinion, is a little more suspect. So bottom line here, there is a difference between a nutritionist and a registered dietitian. But if you know the difference, then you can do your research when you find a professional who is maybe claiming to be a nutritionist, know their background, know how much experience, know the qualifications, and then you can make your decision from there. But you can rest assured that registered dietitians have similar levels of schooling. Um, they have different approaches for sure. So be sure if you're looking for a dietitian to align with one who shares similar values to what you're looking for. For example, you know, a weight centric dietitian versus a health at every size aligned dietitian. So although registered dietitians have similar backgrounds, we do specialize in different things and we do practice some very different nutrition philosophies at times. So that's kind of another thing to look out for, but hopefully now you know the main differences between dietitian and nutritionist. Now, take a breath. Final question. And this one is actually one that I was um, really excited to get because it's not one that I've covered super in depth ever before here on the podcast. I talked about this briefly in a previous guest interview episode with Rachel Narr. I should have looked at the number on that episode before I hit record here, but I think I released it back maybe 
uh, early November of last year of 2020. So it is not too far down in the archives if you are interested in learning a little bit more about this, but I'm gonna answer the question and we'll go from there. Food sensitivity tests and food elimination based on the results of the sensitivity tests. Good or bad, this person writes. So this is a very hot topic these days. In fact, I would venture to guess that the majority of people probably either have or maybe believe that they have some sort of sensitivity or intolerance to a certain food. And sometimes this can be a very real thing. In the case of something like a lactose intolerance, for example, right? Very real thing, very real set of symptoms. But other times, I think increased interest in things like food sensitivity tests and food intolerances has been brought on by our diet culture that is always scheming. It's always looking to place some sort of blame on some food or some sort of fear around a food, around a certain ingredient, or maybe around an entire category of foods. So with a question like this, I think it's first really important that we understand a couple of things. So you may hear people using the terms food allergy and food intolerance or food sensitivity interchangeably. However, there is a very big difference between a food allergy and a food intolerance or a food sensitivity. So a food allergy causes an actual immune response in the body in which the body starts to create antibodies to act against the food that is being viewed as an intruder, as something foreign to the body. And this immune response can actually be really dangerous and sometimes life-threatening. Now with a food intolerance or a food sensitivity, those two phrases or words can be used interchangeably and they refer relatively to the same thing. So with a food intolerance or sensitivity, there is no immune response. Instead, there might be some discomfort felt from not being able to digest the food appropriately. And although this can be uncomfortable and maybe even unpleasant at times with symptoms like uh, gas or bloating or stomach cramping, diarrhea, whatever it might be, again, unpleasant, all of those symptoms, but they're not necessarily always dangerous or life-threatening. So the problem then with these food sensitivity tests is that they usually measure something called IgG antibodies, which is part of our body's immune response. And it's actually thought that the body naturally produces IgG antibodies to any and all foods we eat on a regular basis. So that is why foods like Wheat and eggs and dairy will oftentimes show up as positive on these food sensitivity tests, right? These foods showing up as positive doesn't necessarily mean that there is anything wrong with you or with you eating these foods, but it's oftentimes rather just an indication that those foods are present in your diet or in your regular day-to-day -day life. So it's important to note as well that 
there is not enough scientific evidence backing these food sensitivity tests and they do not do what they claim to do. And for this reason, in fact, the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology actually recommends against using IgG testing to diagnose food intolerances and sensitivities. And thank goodness as well, because if you have ever looked into these tests or if you've ever been prescribed one of these tests by like some sort of woo-woo functional doctor, right? You will know that these tests tend to be really expensive and it can kind of be scary when you maybe get a result back that lists off like 10, 20, 30, 40 foods that you're quote unquote sensitive to. Like it really kind of backs you into a corner of not only financial hardship of like wasting money to have this weird confusing result, but it can also lead to a lot of fear and a lot of disordered eating behaviors that may be coming from a pretty unfounded place. So a much better way to go about this, if you do feel that you are experiencing some discomfort as a result of eating a certain food, is to A, speak with a registered dietitian if you are able, who is not going to recommend one of these tests, right? Kind of like we were talking about in the first question, if you see someone promoting intuitive eating as a weight loss thing, uh, that is a red flag. Well, might also be a red flag if you see a dietitian or any other medical professional recommending one of these IgG tests to diagnose quote unquote food sensitivity. But if you're able to meet with a dietitian who's not going to put you on one of these tests, that could be helpful in allowing you to navigate actually figuring out what could potentially be causing those uncomfortable or unpleasant symptoms in your body. Um, B, or another thing that you could do that would be more helpful than investing hundreds of dollars into these tests that are sold everywhere but don't have any uh, research supporting them or behind them is to explore with your dietitian or maybe on your own if you're not able to see an RD the possibility of doing some sort of food journaling or keeping track of not only what you're eating but also the symptoms that you are experiencing. And it's important for me to note here that when I say keep track of what you're eating, I am not encouraging you to track the calories or track the macros unless you really want to do that and you're really interested. Not typically something that I recommend, but we're not tracking to shame ourselves. We're not tracking to tightly control what we are eating or to follow a specific diet guideline, but we're simply doing this for observational and investigative purposes, right? It's like I ate this food at this time and I felt this way before, during, and after eating. Why it's really important to kind of take note of these things and write them down and try to be as neutral as possible is because sometimes when we try to recall how we felt after eating certain foods is sometimes our biases can oftentimes play a role in what we recall. 
For example, if you've maybe heard a lot of things like, oh, gluten is bad, everyone's gluten intolerant, right? If you've heard those things being talked about, then you might be a little bit more inclined to recall a time where you ate that food and maybe, you know, thinking back now, after it happened weeks ago, you're like, oh, maybe I did feel a little weird or maybe I don't feel great after eating that food. Again, this isn't saying that that couldn't be true because some individuals find this to be very true that they don't feel good after eating certain foods and I'm not trying to undermine the truth of that. But I think it is important that we recognize some of the things that we see and hear being talked about can often influence how we think about certain foods and how they lead us to feel. So again, if you're tracking something like the food you ate and the symptoms you experience and you're trying to stay neutral about that, then if you do this for a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months, you have a lot of really powerful and personalized data to help you, to help you and your dietitian find if there are any patterns, if there is anything specific going on, or if there are any themes that could be occurring with you and certain foods or certain ingredients. And once you have that data, the personalized data that I was referencing, then you can go about deciding if and when you need to experiment with removing a certain food, with finding your tolerance level to a certain food for your own well-being. Again, not doing that from a diety perspective, but doing it from the perspective of I want to honor my body's feedback and I want to do what I can to feel as pleasant as possible before, during, and after eating. And sometimes that might need to involve getting more familiar with the foods that treat you better and the foods that don't treat you so well, and that's going to be different for everyone and unique to the individual. So I hope you found all of my answers to these questions helpful. I'm looking at my podcast timer and I realized that it's been 39 minutes of straight talking. I didn't realize that it had been that long, but sometimes I get into the zone when I'm answering these questions, and I, I really appreciate all of you asking such thoughtful questions, and I appreciate you being here with me. If you chose to hung in, chose to hang in, huh? My grammar is flying out the window. If you chose to, to hang in here all the way until the end. But that is all that I have for you here today. Abrupt transition back to 2022, Claire in live time. Would you have even caught that this is a transition if I didn't tell you? I don't know. The sound might sound a, a little different, but that's all I have for you here on episode now what is 163 as the trash truck drives by my house very loudly. Don't know if you heard that, but I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I will see you back here next week for another episode of the Yours Truly podcast. I have a guest episode coming your way, so stay tuned. As always, if you enjoyed this episode or anything else that I share here on the podcast, one of the ways that you can support the show is by tapping those five stars and leaving a review 
If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, if you are listening elsewhere, somewhere like Spotify or SoundCloud, you can always take a screenshot of the episode and share it on a social media story, being sure to tag me at Claire Tuning, or you could also share it by sending the link to a friend, a loved one, a family member who you think could benefit from one of the topics that I discussed here today. But again, that's all I have. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week ahead and weekend as well. And I'll see you back here next Wednesday. Take care.